Welcome to the latest episode of EG Like Sunday Morning, on which we are blessed this week with two of the finest that EG has to offer. Making a welcome return, it's Deputy Editor Tim Burke, and making an equally welcome, record-equaling fourth appearance in a row, it is News Editor Pui Guan Man. Uh, how have you both been this week? Who's answering first? I normally jump in to answer, and I thought I'll hang back this time, but Pui wasn't. And the result, wasn't the result was tonight. silence. The result was radio gold of silence. Great, we're off to the races. Uh, so yeah, uh, if you had a good week, Pui, I'll be specific. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I, 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 to be honest, it was um, more more of the same. I'll be honest, but in a good way. Ah, <laughs> uh, the tedium, <laughs> the tedium of life. Tim, uh, can you offer us anything, anything more exciting than that? It's been a glorious week, but I was just going to say, I think Pui has um, Rick's HQ on speed dial uh, now. So I imagine it was another week of <laughs> another week of uh, making those calls. Yes, uh, another week working on on her eventual uh, book uh, on RICS, which I'm very much encouraging her to write. Um, but we'll come to that. We'll come to that in a minute. First, uh, Tim, I'll start with you uh, because you, you've been celebrating a 60th birthday this week. Uh, not your own of course you're still decades away decades away Tim uh, from that milestone but uh, that of the British Property Federation um, albeit uh, we have cheated a little bit haven't we because it's actually in October I think yeah it's in October but listen <laughs> if you've got the conference this week and you've got the AGM they're allowed to you, you know yeah they're allowed to open some of the presents now aren't they why not why not so tell me tell me then about about that and and how it's uh uh, celebrating its its 60th year and uh, and its new president, which is exciting. Yes, um, yeah. So the so the big interview in um, in this week's magazine is with uh, numerous past and past and present presidents of the BPF to celebrate that um, to celebrate that anniversary. Um, so uh, there are a lot of voices in this piece. So I got the chance to sit down with uh, Melanie Leach. The, the chief executive, uh, Mark Allen from Landsec, who has just stepped into that um, that president role. A number of his predecessors who've who've held that post over the um, over the decades as well. And Isabel Heath too, who chairs the federation's BPF Futures Board, which is um, uh, which is their attempt to sort of bring the next generation of real estate's voice into into um, the conversations that they're having. I think what what really came across in um, in those conversations with with presidents from over the years is just that importance of real estate having um, having a body like the BPF to to basically act as a, a as um, I suppose a, a sort of loudspeaker and and allow the industry to get itself heard by by government in both proactive and and, and reactive ways. So. Um, uh, sort of examples that we dig into a little bit in that feature are the introduction of the REIT regime, which um, took place back in 2007 in the UK following its launch in the US. And um, it was really Ian Marcus, who was who was president at the time, who who pushed for that. And, and Melanie Leach uh, said that she believes had the BPF not been lobbying for that, it, it probably wouldn't have, have taken place, which would mean, you know, you'd have a very different, um, a very different landscape for, for listed property companies today. Um, then there's the work that the Federation did in bringing the industry's voice to government during the COVID pandemic, particularly around um, commercial landlords and the rent moratorium uh, at the time. Um, Helen Gordon uh, Granger was was leading it then, so so we talked through, we talked through her experiences. Um, 
I think there's always going to be questions uh, around uh, whether an organisation like the BPF could do more, whether it's always uh, sort of stood 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 strong enough. And I, I guess if you think back to the pandemic and you think back to those conversations around um, the industry making itself heard over over rents and over um, uh, and over uh, its re- landlords' relationships with tenants in that period, it, there, there could have been arguments at the time that. Um, that maybe the BPF could have spoken up uh, more loudly at a time when a lot of a lot of real estate companies, I think, felt pretty much ignored by um, by government. But on the whole, the the individuals that I spoke to who were in that piece, um, you know, they were proud of of sort of pushing the industry forward during their during their time in the top seat. Um, and now it's up to uh, now it's up to Mark Allen to to do the same. And is that a, a challenge he's he's looking forward to? Mark Allen is someone who always sounds like he's up for a challenge. So I think, um, I think yes, he he sort of talked us through his priorities um, taking that post. He he made the point that we're now, you know, we've got a clock ticking on um, on a general election. Um, will almost certainly be within the next uh, next eighteen months. Uh, encouragingly, given that some of the conversations in that piece, particularly with with Helen Gordon, were around the industry feeling ignored by government, Mark reckons that he's seen greater engagement with with real estate from all of the parties, but he, he said particularly Labour and the Conservatives than at any point he can think in um in the last decade. Um, but of course, you can't take that for granted. So, you know, as he said, this is this is very much the time as manifestos are being shaped where real estate needs to be prepared to um, to shout loudly about a what it can do, but b what it needs. And, you know, the BPF is the BPF is arguably the channel through through which it, um, through which it has to do that. Absolutely. Game, rem- game remains the same after 60 years. <laughs> and uh, interviewing all those past and, and future presidents. It, it sounds a bit like one of those Doctor Who specials with the multiple doctors. Was it was it like that? <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose it I suppose it was. I suddenly I have a flashback then to a former housing minister telling me that <laughs> describing yourself as a former housing minister is like describing yourself as a former actor for Doctor Who. No one can remember which one you were. <laughs> and you, you definitely couldn't couldn't get all of them together in in, in there isn't a room big enough to, to bring That's bring true. all of them together That's true. In one. um so as you adeptly put it in your leader tim uh from one trade body in celebration mode to another with greater challenges to address i i i can't improve on that i can't do better than that uh, so i have shamelessly ripped it <laughs> off for this podcast um regular eg lsm listeners uh, will of course be no strangers to please expert insights on the plight of the RICS, not least those expressed over the last couple of weeks. Uh, But this time, uh, those listeners uh, may well have shaped her coverage of the ongoing crisis uh, if they did what they were all told last week and responded to our survey on the future of the organisation. We asked the industry what the RICS should do in the wake of the mass resignation of its Independent Standards and Regulation Board and forgive me if I may unleash my inner Les Dennis just for a moment. Our survey says. Oh, you're waiting for me to. <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting for you. What does the survey say, Pui? You're too young um, to know what know who Les Dennis is. Probably. Yeah, I'm sorry. Was I was trying to. I. I <laughs> oh, no, I feel like I've let the team down on this. You one. haven't. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm glad you're not too tired of talking about the RICS for, for the third <laughs> week in a we, row. Um, we we could never tire of hearing you talk about the RICS. 
Well, um, well, yes, uh, the votes are in, the numbers have been crunched. Um, and uh, in, in answer to your uh, question, the survey says um, well, the most popular opinion around 40% uh, thought that the RICS should be disbanded to make way for a new representative body. Um, and that compares with 17% who thought the RICS should not be distracted and should continue with this existing turnaround strategy. Um, yeah, I mean, I should I should really preface this by saying that the results are really kind of a snapshot of of what you all thought could could be the solution, and it's actually just solely based on the survey participants, and it doesn't factor in all the other conversations and social media comments that, that we've been seeing as well at the same time. But um, yeah, um, well, there, even there so, a, you know, yeah, the the fact that the most dramatic solution um, has a relatively strong amount of support is is is, is a, an interesting talking point in and of itself yeah yeah i mean there were a lot of um so there were other options as well that that people voted for so around 21% said the government should regularly review the rics um while nearly 19% thought the outgoing srb chair uh, dame janet Paraskeva, who resigned after the rics indicated the possibility of of dismissing her um they thought that she should be uh, reinstated um and some 23% of professionals suggested other measures so Several called for the existing leadership team to be reviewed in light of the resignations. And um, quite a lot of people um, actually commented that the global structure is still too sprawling and that a separate self-funded organisation should be set up to focus solely on UK sectors. Um, and in that same vein, others thought too that it should slim down its focus to just a few priorities, you know, to, to enable it to, to stand out uh, in those, which is namely around promoting surveying as a career um and standards and professionalism but fundamentally um I, I mean if we take all of those into account it it's quite clear to see that the survey found the majority is keen to see more action being taken to to make sure that wide-ranging transformation um, as promised to them uh, remains on the cards um and just sort of thinking about it i mean it, it, it obviously our survey results are not binding uh, the RACS is not now required to disband itself and re and be replaced. But how I mean, even how workable would that even be? I mean, that, that, it would sound like a gargantuan task to, yeah, to even no. attempt such a thing. It's a, it's a good question. I mean, barring yet another uh, review, which I, I don't think mm. is, it's probably not. I don't know how welcomed that would be at this point because there's already been three, I think. Um, but yeah, like I mean, like I've said before, everyone on on all sides, uh, you know, current RICS leadership, outgoing SRB members, ex-members, they all care so much about the RICS, and it, and it really it means a lot to everyone, and everyone gets very emotional when when they talk about mm. it. Like it's an emotional topic so it's really important I think to have discussions like this to kind of get to the root of the issues so that the profession and and indeed the RICS uh, can understand you know what there is to fix and I think this is it's a great opportunity to kind of look at those issues I mean so many people are still seeking assurance after years of of having these major independent reports and reviews into the RICS and its uh, valuation standards uh, and those and the recommendations coming out of those you know 
many people are still looking for that assurance that profession uh, is going to harness the opportunity that those reports have brought and that a meaning transformation is going to happen at the RICS uh, and everyone's just very keen not to let that fall through the cracks so until the RICS as a member-led organisation gets to a stage where all of its members are happy with its progress and, and we're seeing less of these comments in our inbox and, and online and, and elsewhere, um, you know, EG will continue to facilitate that discussion. Uh, and, and I'm sure you will do so uh, in person on, on this, this very podcast uh, again. Maybe not next week. Maybe maybe you're tired tired of doing it. I don't know. No, we will see. We, we'll see what happens. We can we can't we can't guarantee. Um, while Pui's been uh, busy grappling with survey results, Tim, uh, you've been piecing together a puzzle, uh, a puzzle of office values. Uh, how have you got on? Have you did, did you start with the corner pieces? Yes, always go around the edges first and then start um, filling in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this was a nice um, a nice bit of analysis that MSCI put out this week about um, about office values, mainly in the UK, but then looked at some international markets as well, and specifically just how severe the the cratering of values has been um, when you look at the the different ways that that you can quantify it. So. Um, they broke down the different metrics into those that are focused on transactions, on uh, valuation, on liquidity, um, and then on the pricing of, of listed property companies, and as, as well some um, uh, some sort of particular measures that MSCI has um, uh, sort of genetically engineered by cramming different bits of those those together, and it's. Um, it's one of those stories that really works best with the graphs, so I won't spend too much time um, describing a paint, describing paint a, a visual work of art. Um, uh, but suffice <clears throat> to say that every single one of those metrics is um, trending down over the years. Yes, to, I, I did to, notice to, that the, the the graphs were, to, for want of a better expression, upside down. Yes, they were. That's a, that's a, yeah, that's um that's a nice way of putting it. But but some of them down a lot, some of them down by a lot more than others. So it's it's kind of fun to see what different parts of the story um all of those tell. So those those metrics that track transaction prices um are showing what MSCI calls a modest decline. But that's really only because there are so few deals actually happening and they're generally for better assets so you're simply not seeing the kind of drops on those that you would when you then for example turn to either um either valuations or the way that the public markets uh, are pricing um are pricing assets via via property companies so one of the questions that msci looked at is whether we now start seeing the transaction drops um becoming steeper and they could, but um, I think as others have said, you have to wait until we start seeing a real rise in distressed buyers for that to feed through. Potentially um, owners that, uh, that, for example, might be unable to refinance an office block that they've got and simply have to put it on the market and accept a much um, a much steeper drop. Um, there are some much there are some much bigger drops in in some some of the other ways that MSCI is measuring it. So they have their own liquidity score and they have a kind of modelled bid ask spread that they've got based on um based on uh, sort of their own models. Um, those are down between twenty and thirty percent. So that's um that's sort of a much steeper drop. Um, and then as I say, the the fall that we've seen on the the, the public markets um is really notable is really notable as well. Um, and I think. 
uh, you know, the pieces of the puzzle, even the pieces of the puzzle line I stole from MSCI. It was their research, their research head who referred to all of these as, as yeah, essentially parts of that puzzle. And I think sometimes we can get caught up in just looking at the agency's valuations or you get caught up in just looking at what something was priced at when it sold. And, you know, he makes the point in, in their paper that you've really got to look across a variety of those to get to get the full picture of what's happening and probably to get any idea of of um, of where things are going to go next. I, I thought what was interesting is that when they looked at what was happening in other countries, so uh, the focus of this was on the UK, but then they looked at the US and Australia and, and Germany and France. The drop that the UK has seen is so much sharper across every single metric than in any other one of those countries. And it comes back to that question that we've we sort of talked about, um, we've talked about here before. Is that because the UK market is simply suffering more than other international markets or have we taken that pain earlier through our through our valuers than than other markets and are simply hitting the hitting the bottom quicker um i don't i'm not going to pretend to have the answer i think most agents most agents and investors will tell you yes we've just taken the pain quicker but um i think there's a little way for that to play out before you can say hand on heart that uh, that that's what's that's what's happened Okay, well, you can you can update us uh, further in the future when when more is clear and perhaps maybe you've you've seen the picture on the box. I'll bring some upside down graphs. <laughs> yeah, apologies uh, to my GCSE statistics teacher if you are listening that I didn't have <laughs> better graph based analysis than upside down. I thought it was perfect. <laughs> uh, very glad to hear it, and I'm sure Tim that the week has brought some new additions uh, to the music collection in the Burke household. Uh, do you have anything that you would like to share with our listeners today to add to the EGLSM certified bangers playlist? To the mess that is the EGLSM <laughs> certified bangers playlist. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, and this one, because I'm starring with Puy on this episode, mm -hmm. um, I have to add to it a track from Scissor's awesome SOS album, which... Um, which I, I haven't stopped playing since I bought it, but Pui is responsible for this. She kept recommending it to me, mm. but I'm OCD about this. So I couldn't, I refused to listen to the album until I could buy it on CD and it took them about eight months to put out. So every few weeks she'd ask if I'd listen to it on Spotify yet. And I'd say, no, I don't listen to Spotify. Um, but I finally got it. It's brilliant. Best R&B album I've heard in easily the last 10 years. And I'm going to add to the playlist. I'd be interested to know if, Pui thinks I've made the right pick with this. I was thinking, which tracks are bangers? I know, I know, a single is too obvious a pick, but I think, I think we put Scissor Kill Bill on the playlist. Yeah, I like the I name. Thought I'm, about, definitely, I'm definitely going to listen to it based on the name alone. Yes, right. It's yeah. very I good. I did have an, I did have another pick, but the language on it's too, the language on it is too adult. And I, I, think I know which one it is. I you think. know what one I was. Yeah. You know what <laughs> I was and I thought, listen, we've already, we've already got a few songs with, with swears on that playlist. So we let's do, go yeah. with Kill Bill, which might have okay. swearing on as well. I'm not even sure. You're, I Kill. mean, you're, you're, like me, you're probably inured to it at this point, Tim. I imagine with your, yeah. with your music collection, you, you probably don't notice for the this most part. True. So as I said, it's no, that's not going to make that playlist any more cohesive. If you well, it doesn't matter, that, Tim, because you're not you're not going to listen to it until we release a pressed CD, uh, which true. Uh, so so you're <laughs> in the clear. You don't have to worry about about the cohesive <laughs> nature. You're you're just you're just putting suggestions out there. We, could, we we'll burn it. We'll burn a few CDs for the team. Remember when? Remember when magazines used to have CDs on the front? 
Flexi discs. Do you remember when they had li- those little plastic records? They were good, weren't they? <laughs> Imagine if that turned up on, on someone's uh, <laughs> e- uh, EG delivery. Imagine the surprise. Yes. That would be wonderful. This is a whole new revenue stream for us, guys. <laughs> well, while, while we look into that, uh, I'm heading off on uh, some leave soon, so I'll be back uh, in a few weeks. Um, thank you, Tim and Pui, for joining uh, me again uh, today. Uh, and to everyone else, you have been listening to EG Like Sunday Morning.